Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dewalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the metaverse. What we do here is we cover the most pressing metaverse stories and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this amazing industry. Uh, for our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in, tuning in every week. Thank you for leaving five star ratings and reviews on the podcast. If you haven't already, go do that. It helps others to find the podcast and and subscribe, right? Follow the podcast, whether you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get this podcast. Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you get notified when a new episode drops and they drop every single week. Jeff, how you doing this week? Doing very good. I'm uh, actually on vacation. I'm in Florida, you know, so just came back from the pool. I had a nice little <laughs> island drink, uh, but nothing I'd rather be doing more than this. All Jeff, I expect you to come back with as tanned as I was after my time in Florida. So I'm pretty bad. <laughs> I can't see it, but I, I golfed yesterday. I put on like 50 SPF, but apparently this I was not strong enough you know, to defeat the sun. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Um, the only golfing I can do in, in New York at the moment is uh, is vir- virtual, unfortunately. Hey, in the metaverse. <laughs> there you go. Um, I just want to mention, uh, Jeff, before we jump into our stories this week, I, uh, for our listeners who are really into crypto, obviously, uh, you know, crypto is a big part of what we talk about here on this podcast because it's a big part of the metaverse. Um, I was on a podcast this week. It should It should be out by the time you guys hear this. Uh, The Future of Money podcast, which is very much focused on the crypto space. But the conversation was all around the intersection of gaming and crypto and metaverse and things like that. So definitely go check that out. The Future of Money podcast. Uh, The episode should be out by the time this drops. So uh, curious what you guys think of that discussion. It's a little bit more crypto focused. Um, Jeff, let's jump into the topics this week. Uh, Let's start with something fun, as we often do. And and this is Coca-Cola news. Uh, you wouldn't expect maybe to have Coca-Cola metaverse news, but we do. And the headline here is Coca-Cola launches its latest weird soda flavor in the metaverse. So they announced this new flavor. It's from their Coca-Cola creations department. It's apparently inspired by gaming and it's called Zero Sugar Bite. Uh, for those watching this and not listening, you can see the image of the can. It's sort of purplish. It looks pixelated. Um, the the interesting part here is this is going to appear or it has launched first in the metaverse, specifically Fortnite, and it's only coming in physical form in May. So call it about a month from now. And the the flavor, the real life flavor is supposedly going to be or at least Coke has described it as the flavor of pixels. I have two questions on this one. How would you rate Coca-Cola's sort of entry into the metaverse? Because I think this is one of the first times I've heard about them doing something like this. And second of all, how do you feel about this sort of strategy of metaverse launch first, then real life launch second? I actually, I like it. I mean, that was one of the things I was going to point out. I mean, I think the 
I like the strategy of kind of melding the digital to the physical. We we've talked about this in many episodes in the past. Like I think that is a really creative way to do it. Um, I think it's interesting that they're kind of using metaverse, the term metaverse, to be synonymous with with Fortnite here. I'm sure you know the folks at Epic are probably happy that that <laughs> yeah. branded in that way. I think you know we might push back a little bit, but it, I guess it's fair to say that Fortnite is a metaverse currently, and arguably maybe yep. even the most the most developed um, at this point. So I think it's a good it's a good brand activation. Uh, I have no idea what the flavor of pixels tastes like, but. Um, <laughs> We're about to find out, right? We'll find out. That's uh, that's pretty cool. The other one interesting connection here, I know that the executive that went over from Coca-Cola to Zynga to actually be their head of like blockchain gaming, kind of like metaverse czar, actually came from Coca-Cola. I believe his name is Matt Wolf. So I wonder if he, you know, had any hand in this before he kind of left for Zynga maybe a few months ago. It's just an interesting tidbit. What do you think is the benefit of the metaverse launch before the physical launch? Do you think this is pure? I mean, obviously it's marketing, right? Like that was the strategy. We, they want to reach a very specific audience or demographic and you know, the metaverse slash Fortnite audience probably they felt was the right fit for this product. I mean, that seems yeah, about I mean, right. I think, yeah, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. It's you're trying to hit a target demographic and you need to meet them where they are and where they are is in metaverse in game in games so it, it makes a lot of sense right it's going to build up a little bit of hype i think because it's a little bit unique in the sense of you know digital to physical i think you'll have people kids kind of buzzing about this a bit and then they'll all try it when it comes out you know will it end up being a one hit wonder kind of thing where it's hey they try it once and then they never try it again or do they actually like it and stick around that obviously remains to be seen but I think this will do very well, actually. I agree. And there's a there's like a concept here that I think so many people or brands miss. And it this is more of a personal anecdote. But as a longtime gamer, I could probably make a list of 100 things I wish I could have from the digital world transported into the physical real world. Right. Like a, there's probably 100 things that I, I would I would kill to have. Uh, and maybe not all drinks, but, you know, things in games, items in games, things that have meaning because we I played the game and, and I use game and metaverse quite interchangeably here because that's really how they're using it with Fortnite. Um, w- one last thing on this I thought was interesting is it said Epic was not really involved in the activation, um, which uh, to me, that that feels like a step forward. It's sort of glossed over in the article. But it's, it says specifically, Coca-Cola stresses this was a creative build done without official sponsorship from Epic or Fortnite. And I think that's kind of cool, right? If the platforms are now sufficiently open, sufficiently easy enough for, um, you know, a, a totally call it non-endemic brand like Coca-Cola to go in and and build something. Uh, and I'm, obviously they did it with uh, an agency, I'm guessing, or something like that. But they built something on a platform that without any support essentially from Epic or Fortnite directly. That's actually an incredibly good point. I didn't even catch that when I read the article because I, I, now that you mention it, that probably is the most important or most interesting thing about this entire activation. And it, it is, it is, it's a bit odd that they wouldn't have, you know, that yeah, like Coca-Cola is a big enough they, brand. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't want to pay Epic, but how did they even get it in the game? That is just in creative mode where anyone can kind of create something. I suspect that's what they did. Yeah, it says it's a custom island built in. Get anything in otherwise, right? Like you have to. 
not in the main game, right? Obviously not, but in creative, in, it, it says it was a custom island built in Fortnite creative. So, um, uh, look, I think it's cool. I, I, I'm not even a huge Fortnite player, but I can't wait to try uh, this, you know, this pixel flavored cola. And I feel like this is one you buy and, and leave on the bookshelf behind you sort of as a as a souvenir, as a collectible yeah. also. Yeah. Um, so Here, here's the question, I guess, before we move on. Now, do you think that they will do this in other metaverses? Slash, should they like if they're putting it in, in Fortnite? Good question. It's not that hard to probably also put a Coca Cola mode in, you know, the same thing in, in Roblox, in Decentraland, in blah, 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 Sandbox, you know, whichever other metaverses you want to say. Why wouldn't they do that? I think the, I think to your first comment, which I think was spot on, it, the, the, the target demographic has to fit here. And Fortnite feels sort of right. Roblox, I feel they may have come under the gun of like selling sugary drinks to like minors kind of thing. Cause Roblox has this perception of being younger, uh, sandbox and Decentraland, I just don't think are large enough audiences for Coca-Cola to care, right? That's part of the problem. If you're Coke, you need, you need a massive audience to move the needle, uh, cause selling, you know, a thousand more cans of Coke doesn't, doesn't do anything. So, Fortnite feels like it was spot on in terms of the choice, both in terms of demographic and perception and size and all those good things. So, no, I don't think they need to do anything beyond this. I think this is a good sort of tip tip, like a toes in the water kind of activation. Um, let's move on, because, uh, Jeff, we have a lot to get to here. And I, at least two, there's two stories here that I want to talk about back to back because I think they are are definitely related and the first one, uh, the headline here is Ubisoft ends Ghost Recon Breakpoint updates working on NFTs for other titles. So um, Ubisoft's no longer making contents for content for Ghost Recon Breakpoint, including the NFTs. Um, what they're saying is the servers for Breakpoint and Wildlands will continue to be maintained, but there's no more updates to the game. Um, when Ubisoft was asked whether this includes the game's NFTs, they received a screenshot from the Ubisoft Quartz website confirming this to be the case. So uh, any players who uh, claim their first digit, which is Ubisoft's term for an NFT, they say <laughs> Ubisoft says you own a piece of the game and have left your mark in history, even though um, we could argue, I think the argument here is going to be what use is that NFT now that the game basically is is shut down and now it hasn't shut down completely. Uh, you know, they're still going to maintain the servers. A game that has shut down completely is F1 Delta time. So this is the second story that I want to put these back to back. And the headline here is owners left with worthless NFTs after F1 Delta time racing game shuts down. So this is a game that was released in 2019. It was play to earn Ethereum based NFTs. And um, you paid for these NFTs. There was things like tires, cars, helmets, etc. cetera. Um, and, and all of these items now essentially, I assume will be worthless because the game won't exist to use them in. That's, that's the question I have for you here, Jeff. What happens to these ecosystems, to these games play to earn or in the case of Ubisoft, not play to earn, right? This was just, you could get your in-game items as NFTs, essentially. Um, what happens when these games shut down and what do you make of these two stories? Like, it, should we be ringing alarm bells or is this, is this a nothing burger kind of story? 
I think I think it's definitely on the scale, you know, closer towards ringing alarm bells. The only reason why I would say maybe it's not a five alarm fire is almost because it was so obvious that this was going to happen. Like the the sort of NFT haters predicted this like very clearly, you know, very early on because without true interoperability where it's like, hey, I have a gun in Ghost Recon Bay Point, that game shuts down. I just bring it to Call of Duty or I bring it to Battlefield or Fortnite or whatever. Without that, which we're still a ways away from that, clearly, all you know, you are still at the mercy of a publisher. When they shut down a game, yes, you still technically own an NFT of the asset, but that asset is effectively worthless because no one would buy it because it's again not playable. Obviously, in the <laughs> Ghost Recon Breakpoint, you know, one there it is still a playable game. They're just not having updates, and it, so it's effectively a dead game. The other one is is even more surprising because that one is completely getting shut down. And I, I do think it's interesting as an aside that they were they lost the license to F1. Um, pretty wild considering Animoca Brands, who's the publisher, is a, a massive you know mega company in terms of this this space. Like it's a little surprising that they weren't able to kind of pay up and keep the license. I don't know what you make of that. I mean, I don't know if that part's surprising because I'm sure the license is very expensive and almost all these play to earn games, even anything Animoca, like they're still relatively niche, right? They're not, these are not massive games uh, in terms of player base. Uh, You know, I I like your point on, uh, in some ways this proves the point that I've been making, which is whether you call it play to earn, play to own or any of these things, unless you have the play part, the second part doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. Um, uh, on the future of money podcast, which I talked about at the beginning and that I was on this week, um, I got asked what I felt about sort of play to earn models and things like that. And you, you guys on this podcast have heard my opinions on that, but unless the ownership breaks down the wall, the walled gardens of the publishers to your point, what's the value add to the gamer? Is there any right? If, if, if portability is not, is not part of it, then all of this is superfluous. It doesn't, you know, it makes no, there's no added value to the gamer. The question I have for you is, will situations like this turn people off from these models or NFTs and games in general? Will it turn off gamers who will now reject everything because they think, you know, it doesn't matter? Or will these stories make gamers stop and think, hmm, the publishers have way too much power. We need to challenge the walled gardens. Right. Because now the walled gardens are that much more obvious in situations like this, where you own, you feel you own something and them shutting down the game makes that item you own worthless all of a sudden. So what I hope happens is that it it pushes the speculators out of the market. Like, I don't know if it's going to change the opinions of of gamers because gamers would get upset. Like, let's say you played Ghost Recon Breakpoint, you were actually enjoying it. And they stopped putting out updates. Granted, they're stopped putting out updates because not many people were playing and it was kind of a dead game to begin with. But there's probably, you know, five, 10,000 people out there that are like kind of upset. Maybe, maybe less than that. Maybe there's a thousand people out there that, that <laughs> really like this game and they're pissed that it's getting, you know, shut down. Um, so you're going to, you were kind of going to have that anyway. What I think it might take out of a little bit is the speculative mania where people were not even playing the game. Just yeah. buying these assets to play the metagame, sort of to essentially gamble, to invest, if you will, in these assets. 
maybe that takes that out. I think if you if there's a fun game and that has NFTs, it, it can it can make the game better. And I think that this is that was sort of your point. It has to start with it being a fun game, where it's like I would have bought this asset anyway, even if it wasn't an NFT. And the fact that it's an NFT maybe makes it slightly better because I could trade it at some point if I want to. It gives me optionality. But anything other than that is just speculation. So I love the insight on the speculators, but I want to come back to the original question I had, which is if you're a gamer, right? For the last 10 years, you have sort of accepted the fact that if I buy a skin in Fortnite, I can't take it outside of Fortnite. And if Fortnite shuts down, the $10 I paid for the skin goes away, right? And everyone has accepted that. Then there's, you haven't really heard a lot of complaints. It's just the nature of games and the gaming industry. And and no one has complained by making these items, NFTs and allowing gamers to feel like they own something, which is the big sort of selling point of NFTs right now. You own it. Do you think we will get more backlash in these situations? Do you think again, that gamers will, 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 um, take that feeling of ownership and and use it as a, a you know like to to go against the publishers essentially right because now they feel like they own something whereas before I just bought this thing in game. I think they absolutely you know you absolutely will see that you know as this mindset gets you know kind of built out a bit more where it's like hey I own this asset why are you sh- you're shutting down the game but I own it like you can't shut down. It will feel a lot more of collective ownership of, of a game by the community. And I think that's one of maybe the benefits of Web3. Um, you know, but I still think we're we're sort of a long, a long ways away from that. And and even if that that mindset is sort of becoming the case, like what are they gonna, you know, you sort of said they'll they'll accept less from public like what would that even mean? Like they just stop buying games that aren't web three. <laughs> Maybe that's the case, but the game again. The games have to be fun. Like no one's going to be like, "Well, I was going to play, you know, Call of Duty, but I don't own my assets, so I'm going to go play like some crappy Web three game that pretend." No, I I guess deep down, my hope is that by taking away something that maybe now you feel you own more than you used to, gamers may start to put pressure on the developers to open the walled gardens to allow for portability of assets. Now, how that happens, like you're right, like the, how that actually happens you're right, is complicated because will someone just stop buying Call of Duty if they don't allow you to take your the skin you bought there over to the next Rainbow Six game? Probably not. Um, but I feel like we may at least hear chatter about it, right? People may get vocal about it, if nothing else. Now, will that cause any real change? Probably not. But um something has to break the walled gardens for nfts and games to make sense something does yeah i mean to be fair like you know a lot of the pushback from loot boxes you know actually did work i mean many games have gotten rid of loot boxes and i would say that is a direct result of kind of the community backlash so over time with enough momentum like gamers voices will sort of be heard the problem is right now gamers hate nfts so yeah. you know are they gonna get on the side of nfts maybe not in the near term um well, let's uh let's talk about another game uh and game development studio uh, you know making play to earn games this one we actually touched on last week uh and the big axie infinity hack 650 million dollar uh theft basically uh on axie infinity 
But this story about Sky Mavis, the parent company of Axie Infinity, uh, Sky Mavis raises $150 million led by Binance funds to be restored on the Ronin Bridge. So this is, uh, you know, uh, Axie Infinity is announcing that they raised $150 million led by Binance participation from big names, obviously, Animoca Brands and recent Horowitz uh, Dialectic Paradigm. Uh, it says the round combined with Sky Mavis balance sheet funds will be used to ensure that all users affected by that hack that we talked about last week will be reimbursed. So they're going to make everyone whole, supposedly. And uh, they're saying their network uh, will reopen once it's un- once it's undergone a security upgrade and several audit audits, which can take several weeks. And they're implementing rigorous internal security measures to prevent future attacks. So um, they're raising they raised one hundred and fifty million here. Jeff, and to cover a $650 million hole or $600 million hole, whatever it was. So it means, I guess there's a lot of money coming from the balance sheet here. Are you surprised by this? Like, what do you make of this financing to basically cover losses from a hack? I mean, it was an expensive, expensive mistake. Uh, yeah. I noticed they also didn't put any valuation on the raise. I, I wonder if it was at the, the same as the last round or if they had to do you know, a down round. Regardless, it's an expensive, an expensive error. I will say, um, good on them for you know. I, I don't know if they had a choice, but they, they, you know, the fact that they're reimbursing everyone. I think this this will probably help community sentiment to some extent. Um, but it'll be interesting to watch kind of how the. I haven't looked at how the token price has reacted because um, you know the funny thing about the play to earn games is that the price of the token really impacts the amount of money you can make. Which impacts the player base, so it almost can you know it could either be a virtuous cycle or a death spiral depending on that price of the token. Um, if the price of the token is depressed, your earnings are lower, and if that's the reason why you're playing the game, not because it's fun, well, you don't have as much incentive to play the game. Um, so that that's something to keep an eye on. But but yeah, to get back to this, I, I thought you know I, I read through this. I think they did a pretty good job acknowledging. Like I think at one point in there, they said. You know, in their efforts to move fast to get to the mainstream and kind of build scale, they may have cut some corners around security, which is a little bit of like a maybe too honest. But I appreciate, I did appreciate like that they were coming out with that. And you know, at the end of the day, they are a startup, despite the fact that they've raised a ton of money and, and whatnot. They're not that old, and it's a you know hyper growth type of company. So these things do happen. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Another thing that they, they, they talked about here at the bottom, and the writing's really small, so maybe you could read some of these things. They 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 put out some some pretty interesting little tidbits in this in this kind of financing note. Yeah, they say they have 2.2 million monthly active players. It's the Axie's the most played NFT game of all time. Uh, they've processed 10 times more all-time volume than the second largest NFT game. Uh, there are 2.6 million people that own Axies, which is four times more than the next largest NFT project, which is NBA Top Shot. And the Ronin wallet has been downloaded 3 million times. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's interesting numbers and they're way bigger than the next best thing, call it. But they're still relatively small. I mean, on a daily basis, more people log into a 15 year old game in World of Warcraft than play Axie Infinity. Um, like we're still talking about re- really quite small numbers. If I'm an investor and I'm filling this $650 million hole, I mean, now now the exit has to be that much bigger uh, because I've committed even more capital to this. I'm curious if you think 
you know, investors will ever see. A, a, I mean, early investors obviously have probably already seen a massive return on this. But what are the long term prospects look like for Axie Infinity in your mind or Sky Mavis in light I mean, of, you know, all this capital going to fill this hole? So I, th- I think it's important probably to maybe differentiate Sky Mavis from Axie Infinity. Obviously, Sky Mavis is the company that owns Axie Infinity, the game. I'm fairly bearish on Axie Infinity, the game. Like I, I, you know, I do not think that they will see a massive return on that specifically. And I'm sure that's not entirely where the investors are, are kind of pinning their hopes. I think the, you know, the big hope is around kind of this Ronin wallet, this Ronin bridge, sort of their, their side chain, if you will, um, not to get too deep into the crypto, but, you know, and I know we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. I, I think that's kind of the picks and shovel play where they're expecting people to use that wallet, other games to kind of enable to be enabled to use that wallet, which is why the, the hack in and of itself was so problematic because, you know, it, it kind of highlights, you know, the negative security aspects of that, of that chain that was sort of supposed to be a big, big part of the investment thesis. Um, the jury is definitely still out on Axie. I know they're, they're coming out with kind of like a free to play version of the game and hoping to make the economy a bit less, you know, Ponzi ish. So, We'll see once that comes out. We'll see whether this can really kind of grow from two million MAUs to you know twenty or thirty million, which they really would need to to be a kind of sustainable billion dollar franchise. Yeah, I just think with this misstep, the relatively small player base numbers, the fact that most of it's not in North America, right? You you tend to find the Axie Infinity players in a lot of third world or developing countries. Um, you know the the fact that. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say the game's really fun. Uh, I'm quite bearish on Axie Infinity and even more so now that I've like 100, seen $150 million raise just to reimburse you know, people for this hack. Um, I just don't see how Axie Infinity survives long term or it'll remain sort of niche long term. Um, so I'm, I'm quite bearish on that. Let's uh, there's a related story here, which I think is worth discussing because it, it sort of ties into those last numbers we talked about at the end. Um, and this was an article from Coindesk and I thought was interesting and you had flagged it here, Jeff. The headline metaverse majors struggle as user base falls short of market expectations. The central and Axie Infinity and the Sandbox have larger valuations and fewer active users than non-blockchain games. Um, it, the, the article actually goes and into some pretty good detail And what it says is in the past 30 days, number of Axie Infinity's average daily users has dropped 30% from the previous period to about 107,240. That's their average daily user. Sandbox has fallen 29% to 1,180. And Decentraland has lost 15% to 978 users a day on average. Um, I I was shocked at these numbers um, because... If any of these were games on Steam and, you know, they they mentioned this in the article, no one would ever be talking about them. Literally no one like there are there are games made by one guy and his dog, you know, in in a few weeks that probably have larger player bases than than some of these platforms. Maybe the Decentraland and Sandbox ones were the most surprising. What, What do you think is the crux of the the issue here with the daily active users? Like what? Why are they not seeing growth there, given all the hype? I mean, I think it gets into some of the stuff we talked about last week when we were discussing the the fashion show that it, you know in Decentraland, where it just doesn't look that fun. The world is not very populated. It's not 
you know, HD graphics. It, it's a bad experience. It's kind of buggy. Like the question is whether that will remain the case or do we start getting really, you know, to, to more of like Grand Theft Auto style, like metaverses where at least the graphics are good and, and it plays well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just shows when you, it's almost like an, incredible to see the market cap of these coins fully diluted versus the player base. Like you, you pointed out less than a thousand people a day. That's probably <laughs> Our less podcasts than, get more yeah. attention than Decentraland exactly. and Sandbox combined. I mean, it's mind blowing. Good for them for getting, you know, they've sort of captured this marketing zeitgeist. The fact that we're even talking about it, like it's insane how low the numbers are. It, it all comes back to, and I, again, I, I feel like so much of the industry misses this. The core of the metaverse has to be gaming. It has to be it has to, the origin. The foundation has to be gaming, has to be games and fun games. And people have to have a reason to go play them and spend their leisure time there. Like metaverses will never exist if there's no purpose to being in the metaverse. Right. And, and I think this has always been the struggle of a Decentraland or a sandbox, which is why am I there and why should I go there? What is there to do there? Right. With World of Warcraft, I can tell you exactly what there is to do and why you should go do it and why it's enjoyable uh, with Grand Theft Auto. I mean, Grand Theft Auto's numbers would would put all of these to shame. Right. And um, I could argue that's way more of a metaverse than Decentraland is. You have user generated content. You have entire economies and ecosystems. You have, you know, people with real avatars that they care about. Uh, all these elements exist in games already. I'm not sure we needed to reinvent them. We, I think we needed to grow on top of them um, or at least mimic them because that's not what Decentraland and Sandbox are doing. They, you know, they're not, it's not like they said, wow, that's a great game. Let's go make a great game, but allow it to be so much bigger and more open. Um, and, and, and so this kind of proves that I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't think. We will be talking about those plot, these platforms in the next five years. I really don't. I think the meta, the metaverse, capital T, capital M, or any metaverse is the good ones. The successful ones are going to grow out of games. And we're already seeing it with Fortnite, with Roblox, right? Maybe Minecraft to a lesser extent. We're already seeing these grow out of games. Um, I'm not sure they found the killer app for their platforms. Maybe they will. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Do you think they find a killer app that reverses this? It would have to be a fun game, like you said. I mean, you know, some of the stuff with like one-off events, like fashion shows, stuff like that, like movie premieres, concerts, they could do it, but other metaverses are doing it better because the people are already there. Like a concert in Fortnite is going to get much better attendance than a concert in Decentraland or Sandbox. Um, So they'll see little spikes, but yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. I, I think right now I'd, I'd have to say I'm, I lean bearish to very bearish on these these sort of metaverse platforms that seem to be just almost like marketing wrapped up in in a different you know bow. Like it just not. Yeah, just to be clear, not bearish on metaverse at all. I'm just saying where what the origins need to where it needs to start from to achieve massive scale doesn't feel like one of these platforms. Um, Jeff, that that wraps up this week's podcast. I mean, we we flew through those stories. Uh, time always flies. Um, thank you, of course, as always. Thank you guys uh, for tuning in every week. Just a reminder: make sure you follow, subscribe the Meta Business Podcast. Uh, go check out that Future of Money podcast I was on this week. 
Uh, make sure you follow and subscribe to our sister podcast, the Meta Woman podcast, which is all about gaming and metaverse, but highlighting women in the space and some of the really amazing things they're doing. And uh, this this drops every single week, guys. So let us know how you're loving the podcast. Let us know anything you want to see different, any suggestions for news stories. Make sure you're sending them to us. Uh, make sure to follow Jeff the Juice on Twitter, Jeff Cohen 23. And uh, don't forget, guys, the future is fun. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.